You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for the 211th episode of the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show, episode 146 of season three. Today, I want to talk with you a bit about Lincoln's last trial, the murder case that propelled him to the presidency by Dan Abrams and David Fisher, a book I enjoyed immensely. Published June 5th, 2018 by Hanover Square Press. It was delightful to listen to. Very, very interesting. I hope it's all true. There might be some connective tissue, which is born of imagination, but it is based on, from my understanding, some really sound historical documents, transcripts of this murder trial court case in which Lincoln served as the defense attorney before becoming president of the United States. But before we get into that, before we dive into this book and what I liked about it, I want to talk a little bit more about this whole vaccine mandate business. I've been following the news by way of headlines while working. As I've said before on this podcast, I'm not quite blue collar, but I'm a lot closer to blue collar as far as my nine to five, the thing that I do to put food on the table, to bring home the bacon. I'm a lot closer to blue collar than really any of the podcast hosts that I listen to on a regular basis. And so I think I have a a little bit of a different perspective on what it is that's happening right now than people who primarily dwell in the land of academia, who occupy ivory towers sometimes, who live in the theoretical. For me, this is not theoretical. It's intensely practical. It's intensely real and not in an abstract way. Yes, sometimes there are abstract components to these news headlines and these things that are happening on the national scene, on the international scene. But to me, what I want to talk about before we get into the book, Lincoln's Last Trial, is not, first and foremost, theoretical. It is actual. Before 2019, September, actually, of 2019, my wife, our seven children, myself, we lived in eastern Montana in a part of the country that a whole lot of folks across America probably would like to live in, if only for the sake of having freedom. Montana has a law on the books now which bars employers from mandating vaccines as a condition of employment. And so as such, this business about President Biden trying to get the Department of Labor to draft a rule through OSHA requiring an emergency 
mandate for all businesses which have 100 or more employees. That will make for some interesting back and forth with the state of Montana, my home state. And so I could see a lot of folks wanting to move to Montana to get away from the tyranny because this is not the end. That is what's so concerning to principled conservative types. And I honestly am not embarrassed to call myself a conservative. I am not ashamed to say that I am a Christian and a conservative and that those two things are not mutually exclusive. My conservatism does not water down my Christianity. In fact, my Christianity informs my conservatism. You know, I was talking with my cousin Micah here in recent weeks about the paradigm difference between conservatism and progressivism. And yes, I am for progress. Don't misunderstand me. But I believe that progress is only possible when we conserve what it is that has been handed down to us in a faithful way instead of squandering it. You think about the great privilege it is to have been born in America and the very many people who are historical revisionists, who hate America, who want to tear down this current system because secretly, privately, and increasingly, not privately, not secretly, they love Marxism. They love the left. And they hate America's founding ideals. They hate our Judeo-Christian values. They hate Western civilization. They love Karl Marx. And they love science in the abstract. And they love themselves. And they see in progressivism a kind of permission to live as though there are no universal transcendent truths. But in order to progress as a person, as a community, as a society, you have to conserve what it is that you've already attained. But if you squander what it is that you've already attained, if you in fact work to dismantle and dissect and deconstruct everything that's been made before, you might just find that you are like the sailor out in the ocean who decides he's going to build a better boat by tearing apart the boat he's already in out in the middle of the ocean. If you're out in the middle of the ocean and you start disassembling the boat that you're in, you're not going to build a better boat. You're going to sink to the bottom of the ocean. You're going to drown in the middle of the ocean. You're going to be eaten by sharks in the middle of the ocean. You will not build a better boat when you're out to sea and you start disassembling the boat you're already in. Now, this isn't to say you can't make improvements to the form of government that we already have, the society which we already occupy, but it is to say that we are not improving our society or ourselves by emulating failed ideologies which are at war with God and the truth of God and the goodness of God. You don't progress that way. In God's word, we read that those who hate God love death. And it just so happens that the folks on the radical left in this country and in every other country that has implemented Marxism hate God and they love death. Look at the death toll in Stalin's regime, in Mao Zedong's regime, 
Look at the human suffering, which is propagated by communist regimes. And look at the imperfection of this country. And think to yourself, despite our imperfections, has our country historically been the kind of country which God Almighty, according to his word, can possibly bless and may possibly bless and did, in fact, bless? And is that such a bad thing? Is it such a bad thing to be the kind of country God can bless and has blessed in the past and does bless in the future and in the present? Is that such a bad thing? Why wouldn't we want that? Why would we resist that? Why would we make war against that? Unless, in fact, we love death. We're on a suicide mission to make war against God, and it only ends one way. But, as my cousin Micah points out, the paradigm couldn't be more stark between conservatives and progressives. Progressives, by and large, or at least in my experience exclusively, but I'll say by and large to hedge my bets in case there are exceptions, since I don't know everything. But progressives, in my experience, by and large, believe in evolution as our origin story. They believe in the Big Bang as the origin story of the universe. They believe in science in the abstract, not science in humility, in the context of man being a finite creature with a sinful nature created by an infinite and perfect and holy, transcendent and immutable God who does not change, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Conservatives approach science from a standpoint of humility. I mean true conservatives. I don't just mean people who are rallying together out of their collective concern about what the radical left wants to do. I mean actual conservatives Historically speaking, in the Western tradition, in the modern Western political tradition, post-Edmund Burke, look at science with a great deal more humility than progressives do. But progressives see no need, based on the presuppositions, to have humility when they engage in science or when they refer to scientific findings and studies. Progressives believe that anything can become anything else. Anything can become anything else if you give it enough time, enough variation, enough experimentation. That's why they embrace transgenderism. That's why they embrace the LGBTQ movement more broadly. That's why they embrace abortion as a right, as sacred ground, if you ask Nancy Pelosi. Because anything can become anything else. And also, anything can become nothing at all if it's convenient. Which is also to say, as Dennis Prager puts it, that the truth is not a value to the left. Truth here being transcendent, knowable, universal truth. Above and beyond our own feelings, our own desires. Supreme and God-given The left does not believe in that kind of truth. The left in this country is like Pontius Pilate with Christ before him asking, what is truth? And so we find ourselves in this predicament where we have, as Doug Wilson puts it, 
a cold civil war. And we have to look at President Biden's announcement of a vaccine mandate for all companies with a hundred or more employees as an extension of that cold civil war. Submit, bend the knee, bow your head, kiss the ring of science with a capital S, which is just a stand-in for their own egos. Listen to President Biden's remarks from yesterday and listen to him scoffing at, ridiculing, and expressing a loss of patience with the part of this country which doesn't feel convinced, which in fact cannot be convinced with the scientific arguments so-called which have been put forward regarding the COVID vaccine. Regarding this whole COVID business more broadly, 15 days to slow the spread turned into month after month after month, turned into an indefinite suspension of all our civil liberties, turned into tyranny because egomaniacs in Michigan and New York and Colorado and California and elsewhere decided that they were going to be the hero of the story at all costs, even if among the costs was your job, your business, your family, your children, your wife, you, your livelihood, your ability to put food on the table, everything, anything. Their need to save your life, supposedly, from COVID, isn't first and foremost about your safety and well-being. It's first and foremost about their need to be the center of the universe. Their overarching, overwhelming need to be the most important person, the most interesting person they've ever known. So President Biden takes to the podium and gives a speech. And he says that his patience is wearing thin, just like a tyrant would say. And that is to say, he is a tyrant and he should be opposed and resisted as such. But what do you do as you're resisting, as you're opposing? What do you do to be circumspect, to be blameless, to provide things honest in the sight of all men, to be honorable, to have a good conscience. That's where we really have got to be setting Christ apart in our hearts and minds as holy. And we have to be loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. If there is a legitimate ground for civil disobedience, for polite refusal, for an insistence that no, in fact, I cannot comply with that order. It's an unlawful order, in fact. You're out of bounds, in fact. You are exceeding your authority, in fact. If we're going to do that and have a good conscience, and if we're going to ask God to bless it, which I insist we must if we're to have any success whatsoever, if that is our goal, and it must be, then we have to be abiding in him and we have to be studying his word and we've got to be diligent we have to be sober and vigilant i say all that 
knowing full well that a whole lot of folks who aren't sure what cost they're willing to pay just yet are going to hold that on arm's length and maybe even walk away until they've decided what they think of it, until their back's against the wall, until they're sure that they're sure that they're sure that this is a principle worth sacrificing their comfort, their security in the short term for. I realize full and well that the possibility of losing your job or facing legal consequences is frightening. But I would encourage you, like I've encouraged my listeners in the past, to think about what are the consequences of not. What is the cost to not? You can either pay now or you can pay later, as they say. We bring in network security analysts to take a look at our systems at work. And they point out that hackers have not just in theory hacked the systems of companies like ours in recent weeks, months, and years. They have in fact hacked. And it has been expensive from the standpoint of time, money, reputation, lost production. So you can pay now to have your security buffed up, or you can be a soft target and you can pay later. You can pay the consequences of not having hardened your target and then beef up your security on top of paying the cost of having continued on. Consider Proverbs 22.3 in the English Standard Version. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. This is to say that wise people see danger coming and they make preparations and they secure themselves. Foolish people carry on as if nothing has changed. Everything's fine. This is fine. No big deal. It'll all blow over soon. And yet we do well to learn the lessons of history that these things, in fact, do not blow over on their own. Once motivated persons and parties are driving the ball forward, they will not stop until they score their touchdowns and win their games and emerge the champions, unless stopped. Now, you could say if you were a football team, God can stop them. No, yes, he can. But does he? Will he? Should he? Has he promised to stop them unilaterally without any engagement whatsoever from you, without any courage, without any faithfulness, without any courage to do the right thing, to say the right thing, without any courage to pay a cost if needs be? Has God historically, biblically swooped in to save passive people who went along to get along with corruption, with injustice, with wickedness? And if he has not, then I would challenge you to come up with examples where he has, if you can. But if he has not in the past, then why should he now? A thousand years ago, roughly, give or take a few decades, Christendom in Western Europe was just sure that Christ was coming back any second because the weather had changed, the climate was doing weird things, Vikings were coming down from the north and pillaging Muslims were trying to conquer the world from the south and the east. And the Christian world in Europe thought for sure this is it. 
We're done for. Christ is coming back anytime now. And that's true. He is coming back anytime now. But for all you know, he doesn't come back for another thousand years. And if that is the case, what are we doing to leave an inheritance to our children's children? The way that Proverbs tells us in God's word that a righteous man does. A righteous man does leave an inheritance for his children's children. If we're doing nothing, because we think that these forces arrayed against us are so impressive, are we in so much worse straits than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, commanded to bow down to the golden statue of the king, a fiery furnace for their grave if they refuse to comply, Daniel forbidden from praying to anyone but the king who goes home immediately after he hears the edict and does what? He prays to Yahweh God, jealous others who were getting the king to enact this rule just to trap Daniel, swoop in predictably. So also, I happen to believe that the folks who are orchestrating President Biden behind the scenes, using him as a figurehead, as a familiar face, as a familiar name, they also, just like they did with January 6th and the Capitol breach, are trying to goad the part of this country which voted for Trump into doing something foolish so they can declare martial law, so they can crack down and have the approval of their consciences, the approval of the world community, the compliance of the part of the country which is still just not quite sure what to make of all this. Maybe it'll blow over in six months. Give it time. We can anesthetize ourselves to the reality of the situation. We can jump in and do something rash and foolish. But I happen to agree again with Doug Wilson, pastor out of Moscow, Idaho. We need to be thinking of this like a chess game, and we need to be thinking three moves ahead. Play the long game. Do your work. Be excellent. Be polite. Be well-spoken. Watch your tongue. Be blameless. So that when, not if, when men speak evil of you, they are the ones who end up being put to shame. You can have a good conscience. On that note, I want to talk about Lincoln's Last Trial by Dan Abrams and David Fisher. And I'll tell you up front, I have no idea who the author is except for this little section on goodreads.com called About Dan Abrams on the page for Lincoln's Last Trial, the murder case that propelled him to the presidency. Dan Abrams is an attorney, author, legal analyst for ABC News, and substitute anchor for Good Morning America, according to Goodreads.com. Before joining NBC News, Dan worked as a reporter for Court TV, where he became well-known for his coverage of the O.J. Simpson case. He covered most of the high-profile trials of the decade, including the International War Crimes Tribunal from the Netherlands and the assisted suicide trials of Dr. Jack Kevorkian from Michigan. Dan's first job was working as an intern for the Manhattan Borough President. Dan is probably best known for hosting the program's Verdict with Dan Abrams, 
and the Abrams Report, as well as his coverage of the Bush versus Gore Supreme Court battles, where he was one of the first reporters to correctly interpret the opinion. He was also the chief legal analyst for MSNBC before leaving to be an analyst for ABC News in March 2011. He is currently the chief legal analyst for ABC News. Now, I say all this, and I'll tell you up front, I'm not a fan of ABC News. I am definitely not a fan of MSNBC, but I don't know Dan Abrams. Haven't followed his work closely. I don't know his agenda. I just know that I read this book and I thought it was excellent. I thought this was a very, very interesting book about our famous president. Lincoln is a towering figure in not only American history, but world history. How many other men who have been given ultimate authority over such a rich, large, powerful country as the U.S. throughout history have then used that power to emancipate a whole race of people from the yoke of slavery at great personal cost, at great national cost, at loss of sleep, loss of health, loss of peace of mind. How many great men have been willing to sacrifice so much personally in the defense of justice, actual justice? You have a whole race of people being subjugated, oppressed, abused, mistreated, dehumanized. And Lincoln, before he's even inaugurated, is facing secession by the slaveholding South because they see the handwriting on the wall. They see Lincoln is going to become president and he's going to put a stop to the slavery business. It turns out Lincoln was actually a very clever, but plain spoken and honest and genuine and sincere lawyer before he became president. And you get a feel for the kind of man that he is in this book. Now, whether some of it is, like I said before, connective tissue built of imagination, putting things together, that is beside the point because every history book, even if it's written by contemporary eyewitnesses, will have some of that. But this is a very interesting read because you look at Lincoln and he's defending this young man who's accused of murder, who's defending himself against a much larger young man and that young man's friends who've been threatening this accused person who happens to arm himself. And when pressed, he defends himself. And his primary antagonist ends up pretty well cut up and dies of his wounds. And so the young man who's defended himself is on trial in Illinois. Springfield, Illinois becomes the scene of this murder trial in which Lincoln is defending the young man accused of murder for defending himself against someone who had threatened in front of witnesses to stomp his face. Now you tell me, riddle me this, what is a man to do when he is threatened by a bigger man that he is going to be beat up 
by that bigger man and that man's friends, and he's going to have his face stomped. Is that man in the wrong for arming himself, for concealing a weapon on his body, and when pressed, using that weapon with deadly force to protect his person? Now, it just so happens, Lincoln wins that case, spoiler alert, because history and common sense support a man, when pressed, when threatened, with mortal harm, defending himself. The man who attempts to brutalize or murder someone else has forfeited his own right to safety, his own right to security, his own life even. And so we find ourselves in this very tense circumstance where I think we do well to ponder the nature of justice and truth and goodness and mercy and humility as individuals, as groups, as families, as communities, as churches. We do well to ponder these things long and hard and to present ourselves to the Almighty blameless in all ways. Now I think of this excerpt from the end of Lincoln's last trial in which another book by Abrams about John Adams is being talked about. John Adams Under Fire also sounds like an interesting book I wouldn't mind reading, published in 2020. John Adams Under Fire, The Founding Fathers Fight for Justice in the Boston Massacre Murder Trial. Now you suppose to yourself, you have redcoats accused of murdering colonists who attack them as a mob. You could say those soldiers, those redcoats, shouldn't have fired on civilians. But if they genuinely fear for their lives because they're being threatened with mortal harm, I can agree with the principles of the American Revolution and also agree with John Adams defending those soldiers who felt compelled to defend their own lives because they were being assaulted. So what I'm not talking about here is I am not talking about a grappling with these principles, these truths that leads us then to commit wrongs. Repay no man evil for evil. Do not avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. These are important truths that must have a bearing on our circumstance, or else can we call ourselves Christians? But at the same time, how can it be that there is, as Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes, a time for war, except that sometimes the governing authority that God institutes, as we read in Romans 13, bears that sword for something to reward those who do good and to punish those who do evil. Lincoln becomes president and several states, slaveholding states, secede from the Union. They break away because they would rather have a civil war than give up their slaves. And one could take from that, wow, oh, 
Biden is president, and therefore, if Republican states attempt nullification, attempt to defy the will of this administration, then they're in the same place as the Confederate South. But not so fast. Who in this situation wants to treat men like cattle? Who in this situation wants to treat men as slaves and is willing to provoke a civil war in order to maintain the right to so treat their fellow man? It is not the Republican states. It is not flyover country. It is not red state America. It is not conservatives who want to treat their fellow man as cattle. Here, take this. You don't want it? Well, too bad. I own you. Be very careful, you aggressors, because you are aggressing, and there is God in heaven. And when we leave vengeance to him, because he says that vengeance belongs to him, that should scare you. Lincoln's last trial is predicated on this notion that a man, when pressed, when threatened, has a right to defend himself, his person. When threatened by a bigger man and his friends, repeatedly, a man, when pressed, has the right to arm himself and defend himself if need be. And we find ourselves in this very difficult situation, increasingly tense, where it is still a cold, bureaucratic conflict. You own a business with 101 employees, and you might find yourself fined into bankruptcy if you refuse to force your employees to bow to the golden image. Now, someone else will say, well, wait a second, Garrett. Secessionists in the South made that same argument about Lincoln. But these two things are not the same. Again, who here is treating their fellow man like so much cattle, dehumanizing them? Think about the awful, ugly things that were said about Lincoln. He was mocked for his appearance. He was mocked as this big gorilla of a man. He was mocked in the South as being a lover of Negroes. And why? Because he threatened the economic interests and the personal vanity of the men in the South who had slaves, and they would rather their country be ravaged than give up those slaves, than give up their power over other men, their superiority or their sense of superiority. All manner of evil was said against Lincoln. I happen to believe that some of the things which were done by Lincoln's administration were regrettable for their precedent, but that he was nevertheless a great man, a commendable man, not a perfect man, but a hero. I think states' rights are very important, but I also don't believe in this libertarian notion that nothing can ever be restricted. No, 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 no. God puts restraints on our freedom, and rightly so. Our freedom ends where someone else's right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness begins. So I have no right to covet anything that belongs to my neighbor or to steal anything that belongs to my neighbor or to bear false witness against my neighbor. I have no right to murder my neighbor. I have no right to worship other gods. I have no right to break God's commandments. 
I have no right to sin against God. Now I may be free to sin against God and my fellow man, but that again is where Romans 13 comes in. And the question we need to be asking is not who is claiming governing authority. The question we need to be asking is who has ultimate authority to say what is good and what is evil. And I pray, I pray earnestly and continually that we will have governing authorities in this country who rise up and stand and stand firm on what is good. And they don't call good evil and evil good. And that we can submit ourselves to those governing authorities who reward those who do good and punish those who do evil instead of rewarding those who do evil and punishing those who do good. How can it be that this Biden administration rewards the Taliban and then comes home and seeks to punish Americans who voted for Trump? How can that be? How can it be that our military hardware, advanced military hardware, is given to the Taliban and is now being cataloged by the Chinese Communist Party? And yet, at the same time, the Biden administration has to withdraw their nominee for the ATF because he is such a radical gun control activist who wants to remove your ability to own even the most rudimentary of semi-automatic firearms as a citizen. The Taliban can have our Black Hawk helicopters, our communications hardware, fully automatic weapons, millions of rounds of ammunition, and this administration will compliment them publicly on the world stage on the week of 9-11, 20-year anniversary of the attacks on our World Trade Center and our Pentagon for their professionalism. And yet, in the same breath, threaten 100 million of our own people with a loss of employment, a loss of income, a loss of ability to provide for their families unless they inject themselves with a highly experimental vaccine, which we don't know the long-term effects of. In defiance of our political traditions, of our founding documents, of our constitution, of our legally binding contract as a people with our government, with our nation, with our heritage, with our way of life. It is not we, the people, who make ourselves an enemy of our government. It is increasingly, with each passing day, week, and month, our government which is making itself an enemy of us because they have forgotten their calling. They have forgotten their responsibility before God. In fact, they hate God and they love death. And may God have mercy on us and give us wisdom and help us to be found faithful in that day, whatever comes. Get in God's word and be comforted by it and read and know the one true living God and study his word to know what is true and what is good and what is faithful and what is pure and meditate on that so that you know it in season and out of season and share it and communicate it and live it. Share it and communicate it by living it. 
Check out Lincoln's Last Trial, the murder case that propelled him to the presidency by Dan Abrams and David Fisher. I think you'll like it. I thought it was quite enjoyable. If anybody disagrees because Dan Abrams works for NBC News, worked for MSNBC, worked for Court TV, by all means, make your case. Let me know why. I'd love to hear it. But even despite his working for outfits that I very much dislike, I really liked his book. I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was fantastic. And if I missed something, then that happens sometimes. Sometimes we can really enjoy the good parts of a book and we can miss out because we're so desperate and hungry for the good parts of that book on something that was maybe not so good. It was hidden in there. I'm certainly not immune to that. So by all means, make the case. If I missed something, if you catch something in this, you know a reason why we should take this with a grain of salt. Let me know. But otherwise, I'm going to recommend the book. And I'm willing, if need be, to say, well, maybe I missed something. But in the meantime, check it out. Give it a read. Learn more about Lincoln. Because we might just be finding ourselves in a similar circumstance to what Honest Abe found himself in about 150 years ago. That's all I've got, though, for this evening's podcast. It is, at present, 7.37. I've got to run. Supper's on the table. My wife is telling me message after message over the past eight minutes that they're waiting on me. So I'm going to run. As always, thank you for listening. By all means, too, please hit subscribe. If you haven't yet, share this with your friends. Let them know that there are options as far as podcasts go, outside of the big institutions. Share this episode, this podcast. Check it out on Google, Apple, Amazon now, Audible, if you like Audible. Let me know what you think. Until then, as always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.